actually verse 5. We covered the first four verses last week. So verse 5 through 14 is where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians, right after the book of Galatians. After Paul gave his greeting last week, you recall that he would tell us in verse 3 that we are blessed uh, because we are ones that we are blessed uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We began to look at those blessings last week in verse 4 as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And keep in mind that verses 3 through 14 is one continual sentence. Is Paul the Apostle pinning, inspired by the Spirit of God, is writing these things down. And he's going to tell us this morning the spiritual blessings that we have. So very much a rich portion of Scripture that the Lord desires to touch us very deeply with as we cover these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And so, Father, we ask that this morning that as we begin our study that, Lord, we want to come to you and we not only want to be settled in our seats physically, but, Lord, spiritually. We want our ears to be open. Um, I pray that uh, we be free from distractions, um, that we be settled in our chairs, uh, listening, attentive to the things you want to say to us in these next few moments. And, Lord, that uh, we would remember to turn off cell phones. Um, Lord, we want to um, give this time to you and what you want to teach us and show us because a lot of Christians don't have understanding of these blessings that we have in Christ. And we want to have a clear understanding in your word this morning. So teach us, encourage us, and Lord, instruct us, and Lord, touch our hearts with your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we know that as Christians that we are in the world and we're not of the world. And what does that mean? It means that you and I as Christians, that we have a different mindset. We're to set our minds on Christ. We have a different priority in life. We have different understandings about life. We have different, uh, you know, perspective in life. We are seated with Christ, and then as we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, as I mentioned in verse 3, we're told, uh, it means that everything that a man or woman is craving is found in Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind, when we say that, it's not something that we just get from him. There's a lot of teachings in the church today that focus on what we can get from him in the prosperity movement and gospel and the and, you know, in the, the faith movement, a, a lot of messages that are, are what can you get from him? And, and the Lord is the blesser of all things. Every good gift comes from above. But here's something that we need to understand, that the blessing, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, we're going to see is found in him. Spending time with the Lord, getting to know the Lord, walking close to the Lord is the most important thing in our Christian lives. And that will cause us to be blessed with every imaginable blessing in the heavenly places. So as I mentioned to you in verse 4, we saw last week that we've been blessed and chosen by him before the foundation of the world and that we're going to be presented before the Father, holy and blameless, without fault, in love in Christ. As Jude says, that little epistle in the back of your Bible, that on that day that the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. So as we go through these blessings that are flowing from the pen of Paul the Apostle here in chapter 1, it's going to be pretty hard for us as his children to be walking in the valley of hopelessness and, and despair. But we ponder these truths, and as we do, we're going to be filled with his joy and comfort. So let's pick up our text. As I mentioned, we're going to start at verse 5 
of Ephesians chapter 1, we read, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So he predestined us to be his adopted children. Speaking of entering into God's family, we have regeneration as we are born again by the Spirit of God. We're going to read in chapter 2 that we are dead spiritually, but now he has made us alive. We are alive by the Spirit of God, being born again by the Spirit of God. It is in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, that we read that as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. Now, Christ is the only begotten Son of God, but God has predestined that we should become the adopted children by Jesus Christ according to, you might want to underline this in your Bible, according to the good pleasure of His will. And it is a phrase that's going to be repeated in this chapter. And so as you read this, you find it also in not only chapter 1 of Ephesians, that phrase, but in the book of Revelation in that heavenly scene that you read about in chapter 4, the 24 elders declare to God that you are worthy to receive glory and honor for you have created all things and for your good pleasures they are and were created. The good pleasures of His will. God has chosen you and predestined you to be His children that He might receive pleasure from your willful obedience to Him that we might be faithful, obedient children in which the Father can take pride. Now, in Roman law at this time, it was uh, known that when you were adopted into a family, that you had all the rights of a legitimate child in a new family, much as it is today. In the eyes of the law, that, that child was a new person. So God's unfolding plan for us not only includes salvation and personal transformation, but also a very warm, secure relationship with the Father. And we need to understand that as Christians. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul says that we don't need to fear we have been adopted, and we call him Abba. That word literally means Papa. And here the saints at Ephesus, he tells them that you have, you know, as he has predestined us to adoption as sons to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, any of us that got children or grandchildren, or perhaps that you minister to, you know, uh, those who are young, a niece, a nephew, whatever it might mean for you, when they come to us and they ask us about something, you know, what about this and, and, and what do I do in this situation? As a father of four, when my children have come to me, what do I do here? What do you think about this? My answer to them is not, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to, you know, give you any information. I'm not going to tell you the things of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Of course not. None of us would do that. But yet that is a way that a lot of people can see God. They, they think that he wants to keep us in the dark as long as possible. But rather, we see that, as John says in his epistle, that we are to walk in the light as he is light. So we see what brings pleasure to the Father. We are led by the Spirit of God. We are led by the Word of God. And we have closeness with him. So in this whole area of adoption, it is understanding the nature of our Father, our Heavenly Father, that He is Abba, 
because we're adopted children. We call him Papa, and we are ones that we follow after him. He desires to use us, and as he uses us for his good pleasure, that we know that it brings him great joy. You see, it's important for us to understand this because too often Christians think that God really is not interested in them doing well. Sometimes we can think, well, I'm not qualified or worthy enough to be really used of him. Kind of like that you're a second-rate child of God. And again, all of us that are parents or grandparents, you know, we have uh, our children that they have different personalities, they have different abilities, they have different interests, and we really want to see our children do well, don't we? We want to help them as much as possible to grow up to be young men and women of great character and integrity. It's a priority in my life as well as in your life that we help them in that process. And that is the way that our Father sees every one of His children, infinitely more. He wants to lead you. He wants to lead me. He wants to guide us to where we are men and women of great godly character and integrity, that people see that Christ is real inside of us that he's real in our lives. And we walk by the spirits and being taught and equipped to, and led to do his work and to live in the beauty of holiness. Then that brings our father, our papa, great pleasure. So what we are to do is be teachable. Stay close to your father. Don't let the enemy rip you off and make you feel like you're some kind of second-rate Christian that can't be used. Again, when our children come to us and they tell us what they like to do, what their interests are, and, and, um, and you know, what the things that they are learning, we love to hear from them, don't we? We love it when our kids, grandkids come to us. We love for them to be able to share with us the things that are going on in their lives. Well, it's the same with our Father. And so I would encourage you, all of us, that we're to go to Him and share with Him. Share the things that are on your heart. Tell Him the things that you're going through. He wants to hear from you. He wants to have fellowship and closeness with you. And as you delight in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart, as Psalm 37 says. And remember that you are adopted and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. He says to you, welcome to the family. You belong to me. Now let's get going according to the good pleasure of my will is what I'm going to work in your life. So Paul's here just writing, making us understand the incredible status that we have in the Lord as his children. And in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. To the praise and glory of his grace. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God said to the children of Israel, For you are a holy people to God, um, and the Lord God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. God choosing the children of Israel, getting ready to move them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, saying you're a special treasure above all the peoples. You remember that in our recent study of 1 Peter, that Peter tells us again of the marvelous status that we have as Christians and, and being in the church, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But before any of us, and I don't think that, uh, you know, uh, many of us or if any of us really think that, well, I'm so special, Lord, I'm so together. But just in case there, there is, 
that I got so much to offer you, Lord. I can see why you chose me. If I was God, I would have chosen me as well. But before any of us really think that, I, I need to remind you what the Lord says to the children of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. You see, after verse 6, as many of you know, after he told them that they're a chosen nation, the children of Israel, the Lord goes on to say in verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. Later on in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, you know, Moses says that the Lord sees you as a stiff-necked people. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 2, when God says that they're a royal priesthood and a holy nation, he goes on to write that you were once were not a people, but now are the people of God. In other words, spiritually, we you know, are not to look at ourselves more highly than and we ought apart from Jesus Christ. But he chose us according to his love, to his mercy, to his grace, not because we deserved it. So God telling the children of Israel, I didn't choose you because you're so mighty, but you are weak and the fewest of people, and you're stubborn people. We talked a little bit about last week as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I don't know why the Lord chose me. I don't know why he chose me to be a pastor. But I think that part of the answer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, that Paul writes that God chooses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world. So Israel, I did not pick you because you were mighty or righteous of heart. You're stiff-necked, but I have a plan for you that I might be glorified. And he uses you and I for his glory. So back to Ephesians chapter 1, why did he choose us? For the praise of the glory of his grace is what we underline here in our Bible. That is, people are going to marvel at the fact that God has saved you, has changed you, and is using you. And they are going to see the measure of the riches of His grace. They're going to see how you are forgiven, how you are redeemed. And people will look at us and say that God is very gracious and He gets the glory. And they marvel at the unmerited, unearned favor of God that's been lavished on you and me. So again, reading in verse 6, to the praise and the glory of His praise by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I love that. In other words, all the riches that are ours from the Father are only ours in Jesus. And that word accepted there is different than what we tend to use that word at times. We tend to use that word of, well, I was accepted into this college. Or I, I was accepted for this car loan or this credit card or for this mortgage to buy a house. But here, it's a much deeper, richer meaning. It means literally embrace. It's more than, oh, well, you are accepted, kind of like you went through a process. But he embraces us. He embraces us. This week, I got family that's going to be coming in. And as family is coming in, some of this family I have not seen for, you know, a long time, for a year, maybe longer. And and some of the family that's coming in as my sister comes in and as Barbie comes in uh, from Eagle, that I'll embrace them. You know, I'll be happy to see them, give them a hug. And it's just a joyous time. And you know how that is. As perhaps this time of the year that 
you're taking some vacation, you're going to go see friends and family, and, and you don't have much of an opportunity to see them much during the year, and so you get to see them and embrace them. One of the things that I love about this fellowship is every week that you guys are embracing each other because you care for each other, and you have a love for each other. And to be with the brethren is a very, very special thing. And so that's the way that the Lord sees us, that that's the way that he desires for us to know that the relationship that we have with him, that we are embraced by the Father because we are in the beloved, we are in Christ, and we may not always feel that way. We may think, oh Lord, you kind of just put up with me. And you even feel like the Father even holds you out at arm's length. But his word to you today is this is that He embraces you. He is your Abba Father, your Papa. He loves to talk with you. He loves it when you come and spend time with Him. And that does something for me when I realize what God's Word is declaring to me. I don't always have to be going through this, well, how am I doing? Does the Father really care for me? But I understand this very simple and powerful truth that I am embraced in the beloved. It isn't just Christ in me, yes, but I am in Him. And when my Father sees me, I am in the beloved and He embraces me. That is a part of this glorious thing called salvation. And then in verse 7 we read, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Here's another great truth, uh, another high point in this mountaintop of spiritual blessings. We have been redeemed, not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood, as the Apostle Peter writes. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The idea of redemption is that of purchasing something back. The idea here is to purchase a slave out of the market who cannot, you know, pay his debt. We were sold into slavery because of our inability to pay off the debt of sin. And Jesus came along and paid the debt for us. He's redeemed us. We have forgiveness of sin. We've been freed from the slavery of sin and to life after the flesh. We have forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. Isaiah the prophet would declare in chapter 44, verse 22, for you note-takers, that God says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist return to me, for I have redeemed you. And then we read here in the chapter 1 of Ephesians in verse 8, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. That word prudence reads in your margins as understandings. That is the next benefit, spiritual blessing that we receive is wisdom and insight. We receive real wisdom and understanding in the things of God. We have insight or understanding in such matters as life and death, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell. Wisdom and understanding is brought together in life, uh, the life of a believer. And that's why it's important that we are in the Word of God and have knowledge of the things of God because He gives us the wisdom of God. And again, I want to remind you that there is a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. It would be Paul that would write in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes on to write that now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. James, you know, in his epistle would write that if you lack wisdom, ask of God. People who do not know God 
trust him or obey him don't have wisdom or understanding about spiritual things or about eternal things. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the spirit. In verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure that he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So God's plan and purposes is revealed to us in Jesus. Now keep in mind, in the New Testament, when we read that word mystery, it means something that has now been revealed to us. All things will one day be summed up, will be concluded in Christ in the fullness of time. All things will be completed in the Son, will be restored in Jesus. All things will be unified in Christ. There will come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in him, verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. As the children of God, you and me, chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We obtain the riches of the kingdom. Sometimes people say that, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. And I know that it can be. Because the world hates us, and Jesus said that the world is going to hate us and come against us. And we know that the world will do that, and it can be hard in that sense. But, you know, here's the thing. I think what is a lot harder is not being a Christian. That is what's hard. I'm sure that, that many of you, that you've said, I don't know what, you know, I would do in this situation if I weren't a Christian. Because we have the Lord that brings the comfort and strength to us that we need. The Lord that, that brings wisdom to us and direction to us. That helps us and guide us. And not being a Christian means you have no peace and no joy, no hope. You don't have any direction. You don't, you know, have any of those things. And you get involved in a lot of stuff and a lot of, you know, nonsense of the philosophy of the world and the ways of the world. So, you know, it isn't good. You and I are to keep Jesus the center of all of our life and realize that all things are being gathered together in Christ. And he works all things, listen, according to the counsel of his will. Romans chapter 8, you know the verse, declares that all things are working together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purposes. Now sometimes in life, particularly when we go through trials or difficulties or we go through losses, we can kind of read write Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We can rethink it to that he works some things for good or most things together for good. But what you and I are being told is keep the Lord supreme in everything in your life, in every situation of your life, every area of your life. And no matter what is coming down, no matter what is going on, we know that all things are working together for good. God has a plan, an eternal plan, and an eternal direction for us, for our lives. And he desires to work all things out for good in eternity's perspectives and priorities and views. It would be in the book of Genesis that Jacob declared the opposite. You see, there was famine in the land. 
he would lose his wife Rachel that he loved very much. He thought his son Joseph was dead. His eldest son Simeon was being held hostage in Egypt. And the man in charge was saying, I will give you no more supplies until you bring the youngest son, Benjamin, to Egypt. It was more than Jacob could bear. And in Genesis chapter 42, verse 32, Jacob cries out, all things are working against me. But it wasn't. God had a plan. It was a glorious plan. God had a purpose. Benjamin did go with his brothers to Egypt, and it ended up being revealed to them that the one who was in charge was none other than their brother Joseph, who years earlier they had thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. And so you read those chapters in Genesis about Joseph's life and what Jacob was going through, that God worked all things out for good. So being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Remember that Paul is writing this letter while he's in prison, chained to a Roman guard in cruddy conditions. We have obtained an inheritance. And he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul didn't say, how come this is happening to me? Why am I going through this? How can this be allowed to continue? He didn't say that because Paul understood this truth that we need to understand. That he works all things after the counsel of his will. Isaiah declared, who's the Lord's counselor? I'll speak for myself. There have been times where I've been the Lord's counselor. Lord, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you understand the things that are going on in my life? Uh, don't you see what's, what's taking place, what's being said? Don't you know? It's, it's like the Lord's going to answer me and say, Oh, I didn't know, you know. Thanks for letting me know, Jeff. That changes everything. Thank you. What should I do, you know? No. He works everything out according to the counsel of his own will. So the Apostle Paul earlier dealt with that issue, telling us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he's working all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And then in chapter 9 of the book of Romans, he's talking about God's sovereignty working in our lives. And Paul says, who are you that you would question the hands of the master potter? Jeremiah, the prophet, ministering for so many years. There was no converts that we know of. He was prophesying, speaking the word of the Lord, saying judgment's going to come on the nation, on Jerusalem. It's going to be terrible. They didn't respond to his preaching about the coming Babylonians. And at certain point in Jeremiah's ministry, the Lord would say to him, Jeremiah, you need to take a break, and you need to go to the house of the potter, and there you need to learn a lesson. So Jeremiah went. He went to the potter's house. And he saw how the potter took a lump of clay and, and, and it was placed on the wheel and the clay would turn around and around and around. And the master potter with his skilled hands would put pressure on that lump of clay and that was spinning in circles. And the potter began to shape and to mold the clay into a vessel. The potter working carefully in the pedal on that wheel. The potter had a plan for the clay, putting pressure and pushing and it's spinning. And when the potter was done, that there would be a vessel that was made that was very beautiful and very useful. There have been times in my life where I thought, you know, 
It seems like things are just going around and around. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just kind of spinning around. I'm going in circles. There's a lot of pressure. I'm being pushed. Where are you, Lord? Don't you care about me? And how can you allow this to happen in my life? Why don't you solve it right now? But the Lord wants us to learn a lesson, and it's this. The hands that, that put pressure on my life, the foot that, that spins the wheel, that sometimes I wonder what's going on in my life, I look at the master potter's hands and his feet, and I know that there's are print marks that are there. Prints that were there as a nail would penetrate his hands and his feet. And the reason that it's there is because the master potter loved me and he loves you. And he went to that cross. It was me, it was you that was on his mind. And he suffered in ways that we will not fully understand until we get to heaven. And even then we're going to marvel at his love and grace shown to us for all eternity. And the one thing that I understand is this, that he hung on that cross for me. And now in my life, if I can trust him with my salvation, I can trust him with my life. And he's shaping me, he's shaping you as we are called earthen vessels in 2 Corinthians. And as I just yield to the master potter's hand, and know that when he is through with you and with me, that we will become a thing of beauty and we will be useful and valuable. But to get there, he's going to put pressure on us and it's going to feel like it. And, and it's not always easy, but I understand this truth and I learn a lesson like Jeremiah did of old that I won't be always saying as I learn that lesson, Lord, what are you doing? Why aren't you? And where are you? And what's going on? So we all have a choice. Are we going to yield to the master potter's hand or are we going to do what unfortunately a lot of Christians do? And that is when we feel the pressure and the molding starts and it gets to be a little bit uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable. What happens is we have a tendency is we want to jump off the wheel. And we say that, Lord, I want to, you to work all things to the counsel of my will. And do what I want. And I'll be your counselor. And you know what happens? When any, any of us do that in any situation or in our lives, we miss out on so much. God will allow us to go through sometimes of pressure where you feel pushed, not to tear you down, not to make you weak, but to make you strong and so that you can be a useful vessel for him. We need to understand this, precious people. That there is going to be that process in our lives and individually and also as a church corporately to mold us and, uh, into a vessel, beauty and usefulness. But stay on the wheel. Don't jump off the wheel. Yield to Him and let Him do what He wants to do in your life and through your life. Because, oh, what the Lord will do is we just yield to Him so in this sweet song of, of salvation, you obtain an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. When we yield to him, he gets the glory and we will be glorified throughout the ages to come because of his work in our lives. And verse 13, in him you also trusted, you know, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also 
having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, or if you have a King James, I believe, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When you became a born-again believer, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealing speaks of ownership. Now, I told you that in the city of Ephesus, it was a major port. And so goods and cargo would be shipped out uh, and people on those ships. You see, now you have like cruise ships and passenger ships, and then you have cargo ships. It wasn't that way 2,000 years ago. They're combined together. And if you had cargo that you were shipping from Ephesus to another part of the world, maybe Tyre or Sidon or maybe perhaps to Caesarea, maybe to, to Rome, to Italy, and you brought those crates, you brought those goods, and you would seal those goods with a wax seal. That was your seal. You were the owner of the goods as you put your seal on that, that crate, on that, the goods that you were loading up. And they would take the goods and they would put it on the boat. You would go to your destination. And then when you got off, you, the owner, would be able to go and get your crate. You would be able to identify your goods because it had your seal on the crate. It proved that you were the owner uh, of the goods. You had authority over it. So folks in Ephesus would understand Paul's analogy. But you see, it's more than just a word that is used for commercial, but it's also a, a very deep meaning of relationship because in the Greek culture, this word also meant the idea of, of having a meaning of in, an engagement to be married. So it speaks of being sealed. It speaks of ownership, possession, commitment, relationship. It's a wonderful concept. And when you were saved, the Lord put his seal on you. That is the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, you're mine, and I'm going to see you through the journey, and you're going to come into port, and you're going to arrive at your destiny because I've sealed you with my spirit, which Paul says is the earnest, the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, we still use that word earnest, don't we, in our own transactions today. For those of you who have bought a house, you know, in the in involvement of purchasing a home, you find a house, you want it, you put a contract, an offer on it, and part of the contract says that I'm going to put down an earnest. I'm going to put down an er amount of money on it. And, and it includes earnest money. That is the deposit. It shows that you are earnest about buying the house. You're serious because someone else may come along and want to buy the house. So as you're going through the loan process or you, you, know, you could change your mind about the home, the house has been off the market, so show me that you're serious, that you have earnest. Give me some money. So you give a couple thousand dollars. The deal has been made. Money has been paid as earnest money. It's a serious deal, and that is exactly what Paul is giving a picture of here. That is, I'm sealed you know, with the Holy Spirit, which is the down payment which is awaiting the day when God takes me to his glorious kingdom and the redemption is complete. So we have this marvelous truth. We have the down payment, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. One day God is going to complete this transaction of my salvation when I am there with him in the glorious kingdom. So now that we finish verse 14, remember that one long continu continuous sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 that Paul puts a period here. 
in one continuous sentence given us all these these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. It's been called the sweet song of salvation, taking us into the heavenly places as we understand these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And my prayer is that as we understand and go through this and continually have these things in our hearts, that I've been chosen and redeemed and I have an inheritance and I am, you know, beloved in the Lord, that I have a relationship with Him, that I've been purchased by Him. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that I'm going to arrive at my destination. All these blessings I have in the Lord, then you and I are going to enjoy the Lord. And that's what I want to encourage you. Enjoy the Lord. Know that the Lord loves you infinitely and that you're very special to the Lord. And what we're going to see next time is we're going to see that after He talks to them about the Lord, the spiritual blessings that we have, then he's going to pray to them to the Lord. And we're going to see one of the richest prayers in Scripture as we'll continue chapter 1 next time. So, Father, I thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And, and Lord, I thank you for being able to go through this, just these verses, this incredible song of salvation, spiritual blessings, taking us into the heavenlies. And, Lord, you're going to continue to do so. So, Father, thank you. And my prayer this morning is that all of us, that we would just be at awe and have great joy and comfort in knowing our status, the privileged status that we have as a child of God. And to know that you're working according to the purposes and according to your good pleasures and according to your will. Father, we thank you that we can trust you with our salvation and with our lives and everything. And so, Lord, may we just yield to you the master potter that's shaping and molding our lives. And we may not understand everything that's going on in our lives. We may face situations and difficulties. But, Lord, we know that you are working according to eternity's purposes. And, Lord, it's all good. And one day we will be with you saying that righteous and true are your judgments. Father, I want to pray if there's anybody by chance that is here that doesn't have that personal relationship with you. So many people think that Christianity is about religion. It's about relationship with you through Jesus Christ that has been provided by Jesus Christ in going to the cross. And knowing that Without Jesus, there's no hope of forgiveness, no hope of, of salvation. There's no hope of true relationship with you, Father. Because Jesus came and paid the price for our sins. Our sins separated us from, from you. So I pray if there's anybody here that has never surrendered their lives to you and asked for forgiveness of sin, that you would know that salvation and forgiveness comes by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, coming in faith, realizing that Jesus died for your sins. He was put into a grave and he rose again and he's alive. He's alive. It isn't just another religious person that came on the scene. It isn't just living by his sayings. It is realizing that Jesus came and died for you personally. 
because there's no hope of salvation apart from you. It's realizing that you're a sinner like all of us are and Jesus died for your sins. And now forgiveness is possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. As you come and accept that, that, that provision made for you. If that means anything to anyone, today is the day of salvation. He's calling you to his own. And you can pray right where you're at that Jesus, I come and I give my life to you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe that you rose again from the grave, that you're alive. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And that you would be the Lord truly of my life. And that you would lead me and guide me in everything. And I thank you for making me alive, forgiving me, and for saving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. <clears throat> and if anybody did pray that prayer after the service, I want you to come up and pray with Pastor John and tell him the decision that you made. But for all of us, may we leave this place just enjoying you. Father, I thank you for the fathers that are here. I pray that you would bless them as they desire to minister to their children, to their grandchildren. And Lord, that you would give us wisdom, direction, <clears throat> guide us in everything. And Lord, the important ministry that you've given to us. So Lord, may we look to you for everything to be the men of God that you called us to be. Father, thank you for this time. I ask you to bless everyone here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Would you please stand? <clears throat>